0: If you could open your Bibles, please, to the 12th Psalm. Today's going to be an exposition of Psalm chapter 12. You know, recently I was talking to a fellow over the phone. Obviously, we're going through a transition from, from pastors to pastor. And hopefully, again, the pastors will be plural again, Lord willing, and according to his will. But the question was, is can you handle this? And I said, yes. And and another question was, are you sure? And I said, yes, of course. And when I hung up the phone, I was immediately discouraged, but at the same time convicted. And the reason why I was convicted is because my answer was not biblical. The right answer would be, no, I cannot. And no, I will not. Because Jesus said in John 15, I tell you, without me, you could do nothing. In the parable of the vine. Christ is the vine dresser, the true vine of Israel, the vine of the church, the true leader and the true pastor of the church, the good shepherd. And so, my more biblical answer, because I'm not always Johnny on the spot when it comes to answering questions, sometimes it takes me a day to come up with the right answer is to be biblical and have a stronger theology that is Christ-centered, my answer is no, I cannot. But, through Christ, we can do all things that strengthen Him, because everything comes from the Lord. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God. And recently, on Thursday night, uh, I'm going to throw him out there because he prayed it publicly, but Brother Jeff prayed something in his prayer as he was talking vertically to the Lord. And he says, Father, these gifts of teaching are yours. They belong to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to give a loud, resounding Amen, because that is, was a 100% biblical prayer, giving Him all the praise and glory. And we're going to be talking about that, as well as what David was going through now. And some people would wonder, what in the world is going on until 2020 with the pandemics, People experiencing personal tragedies, national tragedies, worldwide tragedies, loss of health, loss of life, loss of jobs, lawlessness abounds, where Black Life Matters and Antifa pretty much are giving a green card to destroy communities, arson, rape, murder. Even videos on the internet of them pouring flammable fluids on the backs of police officers And lighting them on fire. You say, what in the world is happening in 2020? And I saw a Facebook meme recently, which is a graphic image, a JPEG, a picture of large dinosaurs walking through downtown Los Angeles. Some of the dinosaurs were taller than the highest skyscraper. And it said, what's next in 2020? The dinosaurs? Well, we know the dinosaurs are coming. I believe they were here at one time in some form. But what is next in 2020? And David was crying to the Lord in this psalm that he was experiencing some serious problems and troubles in his life personally and professionally. And so we're going to go through that psalm and we're going to apply that and hopefully apply and demonstrate that psalm to our lives of how we can endure these struggles and temptations that we're going through in 2020. David wrote the psalm at a time when he had been brought before Saul's court, where witnesses would lie and slander him. An increase of men were betraying and double-crossing him. David was experiencing a decrease of godly men and an increase of the wicked. Where are all the good men at? Where are all the godly men, David was basically saying. And so as in many psalms, David cries out to the Lord... For help, as we all should. One author said this, This psalm is a prayer on behalf of or by the people of God for deliverance from the deceptions and scheming of the godless. The Lord promises to protect His own, but He expects His children to live with the tensions resulting from a walk in faith, reliance on His promise, and the reality of the ever-present vileness, vileness of men. The sermon will be divided into three parts. In verses one through four are the words of the wicked and David's prayer for deliverance. In verses five through six are the words of the Lord and David's assurance. And in verses seven through eight is David's response to the Lord. As we all must have a response to the Lord. Let us read the text first, the eight all eight verses. Help, Lord. For the godly man ceases to be, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak falsehood to one another, with flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things. Who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own, who is Lord over us? Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he longs. The word of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace, on the earth refined seven times. O Lord, will you keep them? Will you preserve him from the generation forever? The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Thanks be to the word of God. So let us begin an exposition of these these eight verses. In verses 1 through 4 are the words of the wicked for David's prayer for deliverance. Verse 1 again says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. In verse 1a, the beginning of the verse 1, David said, David began with the most important portion, at least I think, and that's help, Lord. Help! The most important thing that we can do when we're going through troubles in 2020. Help me, Lord. This word help is the Hebrew word yashah, which can be used for calling upon the name for salvation, as we all have, or to be rescued from a particular incident, or from deliverance. This Hebrew word also means to give victory to. The victory comes from God. Our victory comes from Christ. And today in 2020, my dear church, our God still saves. Our God still rescues. He still delivers people from particular sins, distresses, temptations, and even addictions. I remember on November 14, 1991, was my first time crying out those words, Help God! Or help me, Lord! During a bloody gun battle at a church of all places, those words are prolific. And it was the Lord that prompted me and enabled me to actually come out of my dead state of being dead and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Help me, Lord! Save me! Save this wretch! And He not only saved me physically, He saved me spiritually, as this word promises, spiritually. And later, after salvation and other similar situations, the Lord has saved me through near-death situations. And all of us here in this church have experienced situations in our life where He answered our prayer, Lord, help me. Help, God. Save me. Deliver me. Help me, God. And He does according to His will and His timing. In verse 1b, David expands his plea from, Help, Lord. To for the godly man ceases to be, we don't need to tell God what's going on. He already knew this. God's all knowing. He already knew that the godly man ceases to be. But he does want to hear from us. He does want to, us to talk to him. That's what prayer is: is talking to God, to the Father, through the Son and the Holy Spirit. David noticed that the true men of God were farther and fewer between, and when and he was standing. Nobody else was standing with him. They were flinching in the face of adversity. They were cowering. They were becoming cowards rather than godly men or godly women. David felt betrayed by his own men and no doubt his own friends too. This is why I'm so convinced that an intense increase of God's judgment upon America and perhaps even a purging of the church or maybe even a persecution of his church will help weed out the chaff, so that we will know who the true man of God is, so that we know who the true woman of God is. Like David then, we will be able to better discern the tear from the wheat. Verse 1c says, For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. The faithful people are becoming faithful less, and they're disappearing from the sons of men. They faithfully, literally, this faithfully here literally means faithfulness, to be trustworthy, to be consistent, dependable, and reliable. And reliable, consistent men were hard to find in David's day when he prayed this prayer. As it says in Psalm 31-23, O love the Lord, for you His godly ones, the Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. David was troubled by the lack of faithful men. America needs more faithful men and women and more faithful churches. Amen? In the next verse, we'll see at least three different charges leveled against this faithful generation. In verse 2, they speak falsehood to one another, coupled with flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. We see the falsehood the lies, the slander, we see the flattering lips, and we see where the problem comes from, which is the double heart they speak. They speak falsehood. This is any and all forms of lying. It could be little white lies. One little white lie is what is enough to condemn this sinner into hell. It could be half-truths. It could be broken promises. It can be flat-out, down-and-out lies. Matthew 5.37 says this, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. In other words, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. David then speaks of their flattery. To better define this flattery, as one scholar said, they heap insincere compliments on others, Praise is not the same as flattery. It only becomes flattery when it ascribes virtues to a person which is which is known which he is known to not possess, and flattery usually has some sinister or selfish motive. He said they speak two-facedness. What does this mean? To be two-facedness. Another scholar said this: they think one thing and say something quite differently. Like Machiavelli, the philosopher of that time, they practice duplicity. And intrigue. The wicked disobey God with their tongues. They pervert and twist and distort the truth. This phrase with a double heart can mean deception, that they deceive. This Hebrew idiom or Hebrew phrase which brings out the source of the deception is the heart, because the problem, the heart of the problem, the problem is the heart. The wicked are double hearted by the very way they speak. In other words, they are hypocritical. They are hypocrites. Their inner heart is deceptive, and so is their flattery. As it says in Proverbs 26, 24-26, He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. Again, the heart. Thank God for the circumcision of the heart and the regeneration of our heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred covers itself with guile, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. It says in James 3.10-12, through 12, From the same mouth come from blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? A vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce water. In the next verses, we will see God's hatred towards what Charles Spurgeon refers to as the twin sins of the lips. The twin sins of the lips. Verse 3. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks. We talked about pregatory prayer earlier. Wouldn't that be an interesting prayer? Lord, cut off their lips. And see people with their lips cut off. The Lord will cut them off eventually, believe me. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things. That's what his prayer was. The Lord will either cut them off today as He pleases individually on a case-by-case basis, or He will do on the great white throne judgment. Nonetheless, the Lord will cut off their lips eventually. Verse 4 says, Who have said with our tongue will we prevail? Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? We're our own gods. Who's Lord over me? These deceivers and accusers of David thought that they were literally their own gods, that they were God of themselves. They remind me of today's pro-abortion movement that claim, my body, my choice, is a murder of the unborn child. John Howe said this, If we have to do with God, we must quit claim to ourselves and look on God as our owner. But this is fixed in the hearts of men. It is fixed in the hearts of men. We will be our own. We will not consent to the claim which God makes to us. Our lips are our own. Wicked men might as well say the same thing of their whole selves. Our bodies, strength, time, hearts, etc., are our own, and who is Lord over us. This was me before I got saved. Guess what, church? This is me still today, if I wallow in that sin and don't repent. Paul said in Philippians 3, 18-20, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, as I once was, Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this passage. Let us apply this last part with all the troubles in this world, current troubles with elections. So easy to get consumed in these things, but it says our citizenship church is in heaven. That's our forwarding address where we will be. And we don't need to give a forwarding address card to the U.S. Postmaster. Christ has already taken care of that for us. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we eagerly waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? not just through the good times, but through the bad times as well, that is one of many solutions to our problems right there, that we would apply that principle. On the contrary, we Christians are owned by God. Our bellies aren't here to serve ourselves. We are owned by God. We are bought with a price, purchased with His only Son's blood. Therefore, we are God's property. David Dixon said this, From the faults of the wicked, we must learn three contrary lessons to wit. One, that nothing which we have is our own. But two, whatsoever is given to us of God is for service to be done in Him. Three, that whatsoever we do or say, we have a Lord over us to whom we must be answerable when He calleth us to account. Close quote. When He calleth us to account, which one day He will. This chapter now transitions from prayer in verses 1 through 4 to promise in verse 5, where God himself responds to David and speaks out. In verse 5, God said, Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. This is God speaking to David audibly. It's been said that though he doesn't speak to us audibly today, But if you want to hear God speak audibly, if you want Him to speak audibly, read the Word of God aloud. If you want God to speak to you, period, read the Word of God. And read it aloud, and He will speak to you audibly. Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, God says, now I will arise. He will arise in His time, in His will, in His providence, because He is sovereign. He's in charge of everything. The thermostat, the clock, everything. Thus saith the Lord, I will set him in the safety for which he longs. That God will set him in the safety for which he longs. Here the Lord answers the cry of the needy. He answers the cry of David, even as he promised. He hears their groaning and prepares himself to act on their behalf. Similarly, in Isaiah 33, beginning with verse 10, Now I will arise, says the Lord, Now I will be exalted, now I will be lifted up. You have conceived chaff, you will give birth to stubble. My breath will consume you like a fire. The peoples will be burnt to lime like cut thorns which are burned in the fire. Moving on, next we will see David's response and the solution to this problem. Verse 6. I'm going to zoom in a little bit on verse 6 because it talks about something that is so important to us. The Word of God. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth refined seven times. In verse 6a, he said, The words of the Lord are pure words. They're not just words. They are God's words, the Word of the Lord. Church, we must trust in the power and authority and effectiveness of God's Word. Bible teachers, Bible scholars, theologians, and pastors must attribute our gift of teaching to the Lord as Jeff did Thursday night in his prayer, as well as the knowledge that He gives to us, that He gifts us the knowledge and all of those things that we acquire from Him. Though I fall short, I don't like phrases anymore such as this, He's a good teacher, or He's my favorite scholar, or He's a good scholar... Or he's a great theologian. He's my favorite apologist, etc., etc. We all we all have our excuse me our people that we are fans of. But I just want to point to the greatness of the Godhead. I just want to point to the greatness and goodness that the most my most favorite is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and His Word. God is a jealous God, and so we must refrain from pastoral idolatry. And when we do commit it, we must repent from pastoral idolatry. Every man fails and errs in their teachings, but the Word of God says it is pure and flawless. The Word of God. When the Word of God is preached from whoever leads worship service, that is pure, flawless, perfect, the Word of God. There's no error whatsoever. But the minute we do an exposition of God's Word, as I am today... I can insert error into the Word of God if I'm not careful. And I have before, but thanks God to repentance. In the following passage, you will see the Trinity as the author and distributor of the gift of teaching. Jesus said in John 14, 25-26, Listen to the Godhead here, the Trinity. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And so His Holy Spirit is our helper in the Greek. His Holy Spirit is our parakolitos as He transforms and empowers and teaches His people. On my best day, when I'm at the top of my game, just like was in a phone call yesterday, not on the top of my game, it took this guy 12 hours to figure it out of what was wrong with my answer. On the on my best day when I'm at the top of my game and have my most intellectual thoughts and strengths, which is very rare these days, I am nothing but a fool for Christ. I am nothing but excrement in God's hand. Let me tell you a story about the spoon, the worm, and the maggot. We've all heard the cliche, I'm nothing but a spoon in God's hand. I've said it for many years. The question is, do we really mean that? And then I changed it to, like David's words, I'm nothing but a worm in God's hand. And then I realized, a worm has an ecological purpose. Worms are the good guys. I like worms. Especially when I'm fishing. And then I realized, I'm nothing but a maggot in God's hand. Even on my best teaching day. But then I realized, a maggot has a a three-fold good purpose. They have a scientific purpose. We've also learned that they have a medical and a forensic purpose. And so the truth is, a better description of what Bill Retz is. On my best preaching day, I am nothing but excrement in God's hands. (coughs) Dear church, that is the truth. That is the truth. My preaching, teaching, evangelism, apologetics, and and polemics are all futile, and perhaps even idolatry. If I'm not using and trusting in God's Word as my primary instrument. If I'm not trusting in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and His Word. And as I shared with you guys in an email, and I'm going to make this as a matter of record in the sermon, I shared this with an email regarding an outreach that Brother Steve and I did at Planned Parenthood. And I said this in the email, and I mean it, folks. Through all of my evangelism and or apologetic efforts, I've never been successful in getting a sinner to repent, convert, or change their mind otherwise, because it is God who does this, not me. I'm nothing but a worm in His hand. Let us boast 100% in Him and not in ourselves. As John Calvin said, and I quote, "...only those who have learnt well to be earnestly dissatisfied with themselves..." and to be confounded with shame at their wretchedness, truly understand the Christian gospel. Church, let us never forget the two pillars of our Reformation, sola scriptura and soli dea gloria. As one author said, the assurance of the godly ultimately lies in God's promises. His words, or promises, are pure and flawlessness, refined like silver that has been subjected to a sevenfold process of purification. Over against the lies, deceptions, false honesty, treachery, perverse speech, and scheming of the wicked is God's word. The Old Testament is full of his promises which have been confirmed by our Lord." End of quote. And it's not a coincidence, as I mentioned when I read the New Testament reading today, Is not a coincidence. It was very providential that today's reading just happened to land, just happened to land on First Corinthians chapter 1, which basically says, in our most best day, our abilities are foolishness. They're, they're nothing but we're fools for Christ. That it all points to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and His Word as what is worthy of praise, and not of ourselves. Moving forward, God never breaks His promises. It says in Second Corinthians one twenty, For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, Amen to the glory of God through us. Let's take a brief look at a handful of verses that describe God's Word. This is only scratching the surface, as all of you already know. These are just some that I came up with. Hebrews 4:11 through 13 says, "Therefore let us let us therefore be diligent to enter the rest lest anyone fall uh, anyone fall according to the same examples of disobedience. Listen to this, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow" and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Psalms 18.30 As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. It is a shield to all of us who take refuge in him. Psalm 119.140 Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. Matthew 4.4 4. But He answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Psalm 119.105 Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. John 1.1 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then when you drop down to verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God got skin on and dwelt among us. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 All Scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Ooh, that hurts, doesn't it? And for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. A real Christian will subject themselves to teaching, to reproof, to correction, and training in righteousness, which is discipleship. And I'm glad this is a church that does. Amen. Matthew twenty four, thirty five. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Isaiah forty eight, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Romans 10.17, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Isaiah 55.11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, me, 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 God, 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 Christ, 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 but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in, in the thing for which I sent it. Chapter 1. Many more verses, but let's move on to our confession, since this is a confessional church. Chapter 1, paragraph 1 of our confession says a lot more, but it says this also. The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and valuable rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, the wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable... Yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and His will which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diversified manners to reveal Himself and to declare that His will unto His church, and afterward for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh, and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit the same holy unto writing, which makes the holy scriptures, the holy scriptures to be the most necessary, to be most necessary, those former ways of God's revealing His will unto His people being now completed. Amen. Question four of uh, Baptist Catechism says, What is the word of God? The answer the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments being given by divine inspiration are the Word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Amen. Moving on. Verse 6b. As silver tried in a furnace on the earth. The Word of God is just as silver tried in a furnace on earth. Silver is the most precious, beautiful metal. Spurgeon said this about this verse, about the Word of God and silver. The Bible has passed through the furnace of persecution. The Bible has passed the test. It's passed the furnace of persecution. Literary criticism, philosophic doubt, and scientific discovery. And has lost nothing but those human interpretations which clung to it as alloy to precious ore. The experience of saints has tried it in every conceivable manner, but not a single doctrine or promise has been consumed in the most excessive heat. What God's word are, the words of his children should be, if we would be godlike in conversation, we must watch our language and maintain the strictest purity of integrity and holiness in all our communications. End of quote. Verse 6. C says this, The Word of God was refined seven times. Not just once, not just to the perfection, but refined seven times. This word seven means the number of perfection or the number of completion, meaning that the Word has been completed and perfected seven times. It is perfect, infallible, unadulterated, sufficient, without error. As W.S. Plummer said, God's Word are pure from all error, all mistake, all equivocation, all deception, all encouragement to sin, all weakness. Think about that. I've never even heard of that before. That God's Word keeps us from all encouragement to sin. Well, we already knew that, but I've never heard it phrased like that. There's nothing in the Word of God that would encourage us to sin. But the Word of God discourages us from sin. Amen? Church, God's Word is the only ink on pages that is supernaturally alive. Now that we've heard God's response to David in verses five through six, next in seven through eight is David's response to the Lord, as we all must respond to the Lord in prayer, according to his word. Respond to the Lord of what His Word of God says to us as God speaks to us through his word. Verse seven You, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation forever. In response to the assurance of God's word, the psalmist brings his lament to a peaceful conclusion. Regardless of the circumstances, no matter how far the wicked may seem to prevail, God will guard his own people. He keeps them safe from the wicked. Psalm Psalm 14.5 says this, There they are in great dread, for God is with the righteous generation. Psalm 30, verse 11-14 through says, There is a kind of man who curses his father and does not bless his mother. There is a kind who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. There is a kind, oh, how lofty are his eyes, and his eyelids are raised in arrogance. There is a kind of man whose teeth are like swords, and his jaw teeth like knives to devour the afflicted from the earth and the needy from among men have you ever known one of those kinds of men or kinds of women Matthew 17:17 17, 17 says and Jesus answered and said you unbelieving and perverted generation how shall how long shall i be with you how long shall i put up with you <laughs> bring me here to me this next, pat- this next verse continues to sound more like Antifa, or Black Lives Matter today. Riots seeing all over this nation. Many police departments wrongfully standing down, allowing them to destroy their own communities undisturbed. But thanks be to God, there's sheriffs like, Paul, I don't want to get political here, but Polk County, Florida... Just announced they started legislation statewide and there's new legislation going through Florida where it's going to make it a felony to stand in the roadway and block cars. Strong prison sentences to anybody that does these things in the name of a First Amendment. Thank God Florida is leading our nation in that area. But verse 8 says this, check this out, this sounds like Antifa. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. One scholar said this of verse 8, Instead of godliness, vileness is exalted. When a contrast to a godly covenant community in which wisdom and righteousness are to be exalted, the wicked are not necessarily theatrical atheists, but their conduct convicts them of prat- practical atheism. Their aim is power, and that end justifies any means. They do not shrink from flattery, boasting, denying God's way, and exalting their own. They desire a Machiavellian victory, as did Absalom. Close quote. I'm sure David realized that the exaltation of vileness and the exaltation of vile men is here to stay, as we see it today. But he prays to the Lord, that the Lord would remove the immediate threats. That it's here, it's not going to go away, but Lord, would you remove those immediate threats. Justice may seem delayed, but justice will never be denied. It may be delayed, but it will never be denied. Recently I was talking to uh, Pastor Steve at the Ontario Church, uh, the Wednesday night Bible study that my wife and I attend. And we were talking about the end times and how it seems to be getting, the violence, uh, things are seem to be getting worse, at least right now. And and, uh, I asked them, what are their thoughts on the end times? Uh, Is it where it should be? Do you think it will get worse? Or should it be better? And Pastor Steve had some wise words. He said that regardless of what our eschatology may be, God blesses some people by raising the wheat over the tares while reducing the tares. And in some parts of the world or state or cities, He judges them by raising the tares over the wheat. So, some of us might be wondering, what on earth is happening to America today? I believe that God is judging us, clearly, by raising the tares over the wheat. And I believe that God is purging the church today. I believe that's what's happening. I'm certainly not a prophet, but that's what I believe God is doing. And that's what I trust in God that He is doing. And if that is God's will, that's what He's doing, then I rejoice in that. Through the psalm, Though the psalm may not end on a positive note, church, but it recognizes that evil is under the full sovereignty of God. Evil is under the full sovereignty of our Lord. That He will care for His children, and that the words of the Lord are flawless and pure. We can trust in that, in His Word. Are you staying in the Word every day, reading God's Word daily, studying it, chewing on it, digesting it? You cut your finger, would you bleed Bible? Would you believe theology if you cut your finger? Church, the answer to today's sin and lawlessness is not who occupies the White House, nor the State House, nor the City Hall. If your candidate wins, praise God for that. But it's only a superficial four year bandage. The answer can be found through our churches, their pulpits. Listen to this the answer can be found through our churches. Look to the church house, not the White House or the state house. The answer can be through our churches, their pulpits, their pastors, their congregation. As they go out and share the glorious gospel, as they go out and share the word of God, that's what will change America for the good. Churches that are being salt of the earth and light of the world. In closing, Psalm 146, 3-7 says this, do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man, in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, his, he returns to the earth. In that very day plans perish, happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord our God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and that all is in them, who keeps truth forever who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. Father, thank You for Your infallible sufficient Word that is perfect, pure, and flawless like silver. Thank You, Father. Thank You, Son. Thank You, Holy Spirit. Thank You, Christ, for dying for this church, for being buried and rose again on the third day for defeating death and conquering sin for your church. Thank you, Christ. And as Pastor Allen comes forward now to celebrate the communion, the Lord's Supper, we pray that we will humble ourselves and fear God and fear Christ as we hold that bread, as we hold that cup, that we would tremble because the Bible says that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And so I ask that you would continue to bless this congregation, enable us to demonstrate and apply this text. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.